welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summary. We've had a few sports players turned entrepreneurs on this podcast and health tech entrepreneurs, uh, and today's no different. We've got another one. So Ahmed Wobi is my guest today. He, well, I've known him for years, and he is a very lovely, very cool health tech founder uh, who used to be a basketball player. And one of the things to talk about, actually, is uh, basketball and sport and what that teaches you about being a founder. So whether that's the synchronicity between co-founders, whether it's team culture, um, whether it's uh, the reps that you put in, learning about failure, becoming better, accountability, all of those things you can learn through sport. And uh, myself and uh, Woby talk about that today. But yeah, I've known Woby for years. He used to run a company called Orbitject, um, a startup where he learned a heck of a lot about an initial startup and how to grow it. Um, but he's now the founder of Tonus Tech. Is uh, doing some really cool stuff in the kind of kinetics space. And so, um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this one. There are a load of lessons in here about growth, about mindset, about how to start an early stage company, learn from it and use those learnings to start your next company and be more of a serial entrepreneur. Um, so yeah, lots of interesting stuff in this and Wavy's a super nice guy. So hope you enjoy this one. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Ahmed Wobi and he is the co-founder of Tonus Tech, which is pioneering machine learning techniques to sensor fusion technology that improves human longevity through mobility augmentation. So after graduating from Oxford University with honours in neuroscience, Ahmed completed his medical training in Imperial College London and specialised in radiology. Prior to Tonus, he founded a diabetes startup and also has startup experience in telemedicine too. He's an award-winning writer, director and national basketball champion. So glad you included that in your intro, man. I absolutely love that. Um, so <laughs> how you doing? It's been a while. Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, I thought, you know, you got to big up yourself. So I thought I'd <laughs> add in the cheeky little bit about the basketball. But yeah, sometimes I forget about it. It's been a while, but... Uh, yeah, it's all good, thanks. How are you doing, man? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, I've been doing a lot of these recently because uh, I took a break last summer and um, I basically ran out of podcasts in the queue, so to speak, and had a few weeks where we didn't, arguably a few months where we didn't actually put one out. So I've been, uh, I've recorded, this This will be my fourth podcast this week with a fifth on the way this afternoon. Wow. So lots of lovely Is podcasting, it? lots of lovely podcasting. But uh, tell me, mate, national was it national basketball champion um or, or basketball champion yeah what what t- tell me about that sure uh so that was at university when i was at oxford um yeah when i went to oxford i didn't realize that they had a good basketball team and i'd always played basketball at school um to sort of like a reasonable local level i county um and some of the teams that we played had some national players in so it was good but yeah and then so i get there and you know join up to the go to trials and then i realized oh these guys are the real ballers and we had like <laughs> quite a lot of international players we had like the scottish captain we had um players from like this french team the swiss team a few players wow. for england so it was a very very high standard um yeah and we just kind of went through one like most of our games got through to the last um uh, sort of set um, and we beat Manchester in the final. Um, 
So it was, Sick. yeah, an old journey, but it was, it was amazing. And I think uh, unexpected, but definitely a pleasure to be part of that team. That's awesome, man. There's something I think as well, like people that, people that have excelled in sport, because I speak to quite a few, I've speak to those people on this podcast, right? And there was like Daffod from Concentric, who was a tennis player. There's been, there's been others in the past as well. I think Charlie from Stylef was a tennis player as well on sort of European level. There are these entrepreneurs that have like excelled in sport that have said that it, it does teach you stuff. It does teach you like, I mean, the tennis players particularly, it teaches you about loss because you just have to lose every week unless you're Novak Djokovic. Or even if you're Novak Djokovic, mm. you've only won 23 of your 50 Grand Slam finals or whatever. You've still lost half the time. So like, it's yeah, it's absolutely. quite interesting, like excelling in sport because there's that thing about, well, you tell me actually, anything, anything that you do you think is translatable between entrepreneurship and sport? Like in, in terms of like you you getting to that final and, what you learned with those teammates and all of that stuff. I mean, do you think there's any, any parallels? Do you think it helped you in any way, like excelling in sport? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you learn a lot of, I guess, life lessons for us, particularly the training. So just like the repetition, working hard, um, we mm. would train at least twice a week. Um, and then we'd have two games every week. And in between we'd have like notes. So you'd have to like learn about, the different plays and the styles and techniques and strategies and sometimes it wouldn't work so you tweak it and you'd go back and do that in training and that repetition of like okay getting this right and work finding out what works best um but also understanding how everyone works in the team and we sort of had a core of like maybe six or seven players and that i think has translated well into startup particularly kind of at the early stage where you really have to know each other to the point where you can almost telepathically work out what the other person is going to do um, just because you spent so much time together and just like really grinding it out. So for us, um, I think for me as well, that that's been a, a, a big advantage, just being able to kind of translate that and being okay with that grind and that repetition mm-hmm. and understanding your teammates. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's mm-hmm. a big, big plus. Yeah, because it isn't the first time that you've, done that stuff then is it and done it to excel and done it for a goal and done it, it it does feel really similar did you watch that documentary the last dance um with the with michael jordan's balls i think it's outstanding i think it's one it of the best unbelievable isn't it unbelievable the thing that got me oh yeah most with that i think the thing that i really enjoyed was the relationship between like the coach and the players yes it was about like excelling in lots of different things but the role of the coach, which I think was so, so important because it was, it really showed that they teach them to be people. They teach them to be men. They care about their lives. They care about who they are as people. And it it was so holistic, the role of a coach. It wasn't just about basketball. It was a man that was older influencing these younger men to be, men and to be the right type of men it was it was I, I really just found that fascinating like the role of a coach there um Absolutely. i think yeah there's there's certain there's certain things about being a leader i think that that pull through as well when we think about like trying to lead in companies and i think it's something that i've talked about in the last couple of these actually about like 
when you've got employees like caring about their life, like caring about who they are as people and not, I think to the same degree as, as trying to influence them to be better people. I don't think that's obviously your role in like a business and a startup, but you can certainly role model yourself. You can certainly lead by example. You can certainly care about their lives and make sure that work is a really important and lovely part of their life and meaningful and purpose and all those things. And I think I was ch- the, the last one of these I actually did was with um, Mohammed from Patients, Patients Know Best. And he's had that company for year, over a decade and he's been remote since 2008. Uh, and he's just got this philosophy of just genuinely caring. And we were saying like so much of the stuff that you're sort of meant to do in inverted commas actually comes incredibly easy when you do just genuinely care. If you actually just care about the people that you work with and the people that are in your team and the people that are in your like sports team or startup, if you actually just genuinely care, it can become incredibly easy to, or much easier to manage them than trying to just do it from the book stuff, if you know what I mean. I don't know if any of that resonates, right? Absolutely. No, totally. A hundred percent. And I think what mirrors the Last Dance documentary, so Phil Jackson, the coach of the Chicago Bulls, sort of in the nineties, he exactly that you say, a very holistic approach where he considered the entire person and found their motivation and their internal guidance. I think that's totally applicable in the startup world. And I've seen that work uh, well. And I've seen instances where people haven't done that and it hasn't worked out as mm-hmm. well. And I think that's something that we've always tried to do, knowing each other well and sort of playing to our strengths. And I think having that internal kind of um, synchronicity, being able to kind of be like, okay, I know who this person is and what drives them and what's their motivation. It's It definitely makes it easier to be sort of like authentic to yourself. And then that makes you authentic to your mission uh, and improves your productivity. Mm. So I think it's all true. I think it's absolutely true. Mate, I love that because, so synchronicity, I think that is a, is a fabulous word because I get asked a lot, as you'll know, like Jess and I are co-founders, but we're also fiancés that we're going to get married next year. And the relationship came first, the company came second. And people ask me a lot about, you know, what's that like? And it's always sort of loaded with the whole, like, there's always this sort of undertone of like, you must argue all the time (laughs) or something or that must be really difficult or, which is understandable. You know, people can, you know, have their own opinions on that stuff. Like, of of course, and yes, of course it's difficult and you have to learn a different communication style and that kind of thing. And and yeah, it's a project, a company. It's like, well, often companies are called like your baby, aren't they? And and it's not too dissimilar from what I've heard. Um, In some areas, obviously in some areas, it's completely wildly different. Um, But, that word synchronicity, I think that perfectly demonstrates why if you are in a relationship with someone that is also your co-founder, you can move incredibly quickly because you have you to exactly what you've just said about the teammates of the Chicago Bulls led by Phil Jackson. He, his, his obsession with teammates understanding each other led to this obscene depth of relationship between everybody that they were almost telepathic Mm. and that's definitely what i think as a co-founder with jess like i i think that we i i already know how she is going to think and feel about something and so i can start to 
optimize or correct for that in before the conversation is even had. And so the speed that we can go because of that synchronicity, I think is far quicker than others. And yes, there are disadvantages to it, but I think that perfectly highlights such a massive advantage of it. But yeah, thanks, mate. I never miss the opportunity to talk about sport and entrepreneurship. I absolutely love those two things as a concept. Um, so the introduction's taking a bit longer, but still del- delighted to have you on, man. And like, obviously, we've known each other for a little while. When I was running accelerators, we did some work with each other then. Um, and you've obviously gone on to do some incredibly cool stuff since. And so I'm looking forward to hearing the story, man. So yeah, start at the beginning and then fill me in on the bits that have been the last sort of five years. When I was playing basketball, that was when I was studying medicine back at university. Um, so I did neurosciences and, and medicine, and I worked as a doctor in the NHS for about seven years. Um, during that process, you know, you go through all the different rotations, you learn a lot of, about uh, people, about patients, uh, communication. Um, yeah, and in 2017, that's when I left uh, medicine full time to work in startup and medical tech startups. Uh, initially working for one and then founding uh, one myself and that's when uh, we did the diabetes startup Orbitject and I think that's when I applied to uh, HS and that's when I think we first met um, because we were sort of getting up off the ground it was my first startup and I'd uh, some of my co-founders I'd met working uh, my previous company and it was a very kind of interesting experience because they had more um, sort of technical experience than I did, and I had more sort of medical understanding. And together, we were able to kind of make something I think that was quite simple but very effective. Um, and it got us into different types of organisations, including the national, uh, sorry, the NHS Clinical uh, Entrepreneur Fellowship Scheme. So that's sort of like uh, the uh, the sort of startup side assistance scheme that's run or clinicians or anyone who has a medical background and that is that was useful in sort of education and networking and increasing our kind of visibility um but yeah and then so when I, when I met you at HS that was also really good for for us to sort of like develop our product and our, our understanding um, and I think that sort of laid the groundwork for Tonus in that it helped me sort of understand what it is like to set up something and the real sort of day-to-day of like running a business and running a startup and everything from designing a product for teamwork, um, meeting backers. Uh, And then in 2019, I joined Zinc. And Zinc VC is a mission-driven business builder. And uh, I I sort of had the idea of like working with wearables, um, both with uh, Orbitject, a diabetes startup, but also just I think at that time wearables were becoming a bit more at the front of, of the consciousness. People had some kind of uh, fitness watch or it wasn't just something that was used by amateur athletes. It was something that you could do quite easily counting your steps or looking at your heart rate. And we were thinking about, okay, this is something that can be taken a bit further. What can we do with it right now? And with uh, my co-founders at Zinc, what was really good there was that we were able to sort of find each other um, and we all had different backgrounds and different skill sets and it worked out that we we were all kind of driven in the same direction in the uh, mission to sort of help with longevity, uh, particularly health span. And we thought that we could make something together um, that would be different 
but also revolutionary at scale. Um, so that's something we always wanted to to be able to do, have have impact that would be substantial, but to as many people as possible. And that's when we started uh, Tonus. Yeah. Awesome, man. I want to get into Tonus in a second, but I want to take you back to that first startup, so Orbitject. Can you just explain what that was? Because you mentioned it was simple but effective. And I think that's actually quite important. It was your first startup as well. And I think that's a really, again, like a really interesting phrase because you've mentioned that a few times actually. And it seems like, it seems like you've got a framework of like, you don't necessarily think that the current idea is the one that's going to be the one like you're happy with saying yeah that was the first one this is the one i've got now and it might be different to the five i've got coming like it's, it's just an interesting mm. way that you sort of phrased that i think that's it's a very kind of silicon valley entrepreneur sort of mentality which i think <laughs> is interesting so anyway you mentioned orbitject was your first startup and and it was simple but effective and you learned certain things can you run yeah through that with me and i guess the reason that i ask is because there'll be there'll be lots of people listening that are that might be scared to take that first jump because and i put myself actually in this category like for quite a few years actually scared to make the initial jump into entrepreneurship because you think that first thing might fail and actually that's that's a ludicrous mentality if you're thinking long if you're thinking long game if you're thinking who i am is entrepreneurial who what i am is entrepreneur what i am like i should be or I want to be, I should say, I, you know, I want to be flexing these skills and trying something new and, and growing a business. I, I think that's a really interesting framework and way that you framed all of that and phrased it, that you don't, it, it, it doesn't need to be a billion dollar idea. You just need to get out and put product out there to learn some stuff. So talk to me about Orbit, Jack. Talk to me about what you learned. Absolutely. Yeah, I think all your points are, I totally 100% agree with. So I think with Orbitject, um, the plan was, okay, I have an idea. Uh, I think there's a quite a big gap in the market for the use of injections. So for anyone that uses insulin or any other type of subcutaneous uh, injection and being able to monitor the injection site, making sure that there's appropriate uh, rotation and then using that as a form of not only compliance management to making sure that people are taking medication in the right way, but combining that with whatever medication they're taking. So tracking their, in, in diabetes case, tracking their, their blood sugars, checking their, how much insulin they're using. And it was, I think there had always been a disconnect in the diabetes market, um, mainly because it was focused on blood glucose levels. And that's totally mm-hmm. understandable. But the actual like implementation of the injections I think that was all just like a, an afterthought. People were just like, oh, you just take your insulin and then it's it's good to go. And uh, whenever kind of uh, we saw that people were not finding it that easy and there was, there was a difficulty and it was mostly ignored, it was just like the blood glucose is number one, focus, focus, focus on that, whereas the whole holistic experience wasn't a priority. And we thought, okay, we can do something that's not super difficult by looking at, where people inject and making sure there's appropriate rotation and if you can do that you can only you can reduce the uh, complications associated with that but also improve how people know uh, what they're doing about their medication and their bodies um, and it's yeah that was sort of the entry point of like okay this is something that's we can get to MVP very quickly and we can roll out very quickly 
but also we can have an impact and we can get feedback quickly. So the, the loop of iteration and redesign was quite short. Um, and I think that was sort of really nice from like a, uh, initial startup perspective. And this is something that we, we even designed and like we did mock-ups on initially on paper and just, just like, uh, simple diagrams. So you don't need to have like the highest level of you know, computing or all the money. This is something we did very cheap, very quickly, um, from like a pure ideation perspective. And I think that was, uh, advantageous for us, like you say, to be able to, try something, oh, that doesn't work. Oh, this does work. And why does it work? Let's do it again and keep going. And that is, I think, the core of being sort of this type of entrepreneur where you're like, you have an idea and you test it, keep what works and you, mm. you modify what doesn't and then you keep going. And mm. essentially that's what I've been doing since. Love that, man. So what were you optimizing for? So if, so, I mean, I know the product because we, you know, we were chatting about it years ago. So like, the app itself, I think, was it was really interesting to me because exactly like you just said, the diabetes apps and and you know self management help things were, were all largely around blood sugars and tracking that side of things. I've not actually seen anything since, by the way. That and, and fair enough, I'm not in that world. There probably are, but again, like nothing mass market. But your idea was to. I mean, not only track that stuff, but to actually track the injection site so yeah. that people wouldn't forget which site they used because it is the best practice to rotate the injection site so that you don't develop local infections and abscesses and, and these, you know, things that can happen at that local injection site if the same site is used repeatedly. It's a very very practical user-centric problem that it it feels like it, it's an interesting one to me because I think commercially it's a very interesting yet probably slightly difficult thing to figure out how you make the case for it you have to cost up the uh, the those local injection site issues and how much they might cost to someone or a system and, and trying to figure out how to prove that commercial model is really difficult. But there's absolutely no denying that that is of extreme value to individuals that inject every day that are just forgetting which site they used yesterday and don't want to put themselves at risk of any potential harm. And so... It was always interesting to me for that sort of hyper practical reason. My question is, when you were thinking about those iterations, what were you optimizing for? Because you say that you were you were doing it, deploying it, learning, changing something. Were you optimizing for user engagement, stickiness, uh, like design and UI? Was it more commercial stuff? Like what, what was it that particularly that you were learning? Cause it sounds like you were in fast learning cycles, right? Yeah. What was that around? So it's, it was all about the user experience. Uh, we wanted to make it okay. easy to use, but also effective and communicate the information clearly. So it was initially like we started with quite a realistic, um, I guess, model of the body and then we realized this isn't as practical because people basically have an idea of what that looks like. So we, we simplified that. Uh, and then the way of 
recording the actual injections and then suggesting the rotation and thinking about people will generally start on their dominant side, but having like a, I guess, the option to cycle in a way that is um, very user-friendly. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to inject my thigh, my right side, then I want the, the system to prompt me to go to the next place that is close to where I injected last time, but not in the same, so maybe the right side of my abdomen and then the next. So just thinking about the, the practicalities of that. So I think the first version was like very mm. pretty, and but it wasn't as usable. And then it's like, okay, let's make it more simple. So it's very easy to kind of just open, look at, and then go. So taking out features rather than putting extra things in, that that's the type of like uh, initial iterations. And I think all of this came about was because uh, I'm not diabetic myself, but I was using um, antibody therapy, which is delivered in a very similar way to uh, insulin. So I was... I had the, the same issues in that I was injecting and I, I had forgotten where I'd injected. And so it was like, oh, okay, this is something that I can like directly contribute to in how I, I use my injections. And that was, I think, uh, it's, it was very easy to have like user feedback as, you know, if you're someone who's part of the product mm. team, you're just like, yeah, this is not something I would do or this is something I would prefer to have and let's think about this. So it was, it was those kind of practical considerations. And yeah, even to this day, I think a few weeks ago, uh, met a family friend who type 1 diabetes, and he was asking the same problem. And so this is, I guess, like five, six years after Orbitject. And he was wow. like, I'm struggling to you know, just monitor where I inject. And I said, oh, I'm sure there'll be lots of stuff. So we opened up the app store, and there were only like a few handful of apps. Like since then, not, not a lot has developed. So it yeah, seems like there's still a problem. And and not many people are uh, addressing it. Um, but yeah, I think it's there are it's potentially limited um, commercial uh, potential in how you're going to exploit this at scale. Um, I think people would use it, but mm. I think the difficulty we had was okay, how how are going to people going to pay for this? Is it going to be a recurring model? Yeah. Are you going to tie it into the whole experience? Um, yeah. So that's the harder part, I think. Are you, are you still are you still doing it, or or are you, have you sort of shelved it? Yeah, so that's been sort of shelved. It's I think still on the yeah, Android fair. App Store, but not on the Apple uh, yeah, yeah. iOS Store. But yeah, okay, fine, fine. Because yeah, it almost feels to me like that it's such a hyper practical, useful thing for people that that almost it could be like a, a loss leading feature at the front of something else for that group that it's a feature of an app that is in the hands of many diabetic and, you know, people taking antibody therapies and anticoagulants and all these different things. Like it feels like it's certainly something that should just be included in pretty much everyone's uh, smart device at some, at some point, like within some app that they've got, because as you say, it's just, it's just so useful to people. But just to pull back to the learning points, I think that's fantastic. Taking features out rather than putting them in is what you learned. I think that's really interesting. And actually, it you said another thing that I think was interesting. It, it looked pretty, but it wasn't that practical. And again, just on the route to practicality and that being the thing that makes it sticky, that being the thing that makes it usable, that makes it that, you know, those are the things that actually make it relatively joyous to use. It's just that frictionless, this is so useful rather than the desire to, as you say, make it pretty. Um, yeah, super interesting, man. So 
as you say, that was your first startup. So yeah, what happens next? Yeah, I think I was interested in just like iterating um, with lots of different um, types of technology. And uh, at the time I was looking into wearables. Um, I think I'm a big fan of that. Being, give, especially giving users and patients the ability to have uh, more information about what they're doing and how they're doing it. I think that's something that hasn't really happened uh, in any type of healthcare in in the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years. So it's, it's, it was really empowering just even getting one myself and just, you know, putting on the strap and then saying, okay, this is my heart rate and this is, these are my steps. And I was thinking, okay, what are the use cases? And I'd spoken to some people in care homes who were doing some uh, research in the startup field and they were looking to monitor older adults to reduce incidental falls and improve their general health. Uh, and I was like, okay, I think I see like a use case, but I'm not exactly sure what it looks like. And uh, at the same time, uh, Zinc announced that they had a new mission, which is focusing on improving health span and uh, particularly looking at um, the lifespan for older adults. Um, so I thought, okay, this might be something that appeals to me both from a um, technical perspective, uh, but also from a, just a general impact perspective, because we know that this is a, a big problem. People are getting older uh, throughout the world, but the quality of life isn't necessarily improving in the same way. And a lot of these things are changeable through interventions. Even if it is a late intervention, you can have a, a big impact. So it's like, okay, why, why don't we try and do something? And we had a look out there and there wasn't really much um, in this particular field. So yeah, we thought, okay, let's see if we can focus on the area of movement and our vision is around improving people's mobility and that was something that Zinc really facilitated us to uh, to look at and to really kind of grind down on and when you're in an uh, accelerator infrastructure they give you the support the mentorship like uh, as you guys did with HS so it's it's a similar kind of like structure but it also helped us uh, find our co-founders so we found each other um, mm. and you get to kind of experiment and do like mini uh, sprints to see if you are compatible both from a personality and technical perspective so tonus tell me the whole thing from the beginning i guess so the idea and turning that idea turning that idea into reality i think i think this is a good one to ask you specifically because um being being early stage and and obviously having a, a startup before and that kind of thing so Talk to me about being, I suppose, being a doctor. You mentioned before, actually, that, uh, you know, you've partnered up with domain experts and things like that. So, um, or sorry, technical experts with you being the domain expert. So that co-founder journey to then developing Tonus, developing an AI product. Again, there'll be people listening that are in a similar position. They might be clinicians. They might be domain experts in healthcare in a different way that might not have that technical expertise and ability to code an AI uh, program. So talk to me about going from an idea to reality of an AI product as someone that doesn't know the technology. Mm, sure. Um, so I think... We so we all sat down. My co-founders, Dimi, Mariana. So Dimi, um, he has a technical background. He has a PhD in cybernetics. Um, he has a background in robotics, both uh, the sort of the software side of things, but also the hardware. 
So he has the the knowledge and understanding. Uh, and Mariana has a background in sort of product and business. Um, she used to work at BMW and Daimler, um, but also has worked in startups involving uh, IoT. So I think we we all had different domain expertise, and I realized that I can learn about the the broad principles around um, software, machine learning, artificial intelligence, but it would be better to have a co-founder who knew sort of the inside out of that thing and could really kind of dig into that. And I think that's what we all sort of do. So we know the broad principles of each other's uh, area, um, but then we allow the individual who has expertise to kind of guide us in that particular field. When I was starting out, I didn't really know much about machine learning and AI. Like when I used to work at my first startup, I had written a bit about artificial intelligence in the field of radiology. Um, This was back in like 2017. So I'd done some research um, in that specific field and the products and the technology that was available um, and the impact, particularly through sort of image recognition and being able to um, have very simple um, preliminary diagnoses, uh, looking at mammograms. And so I had a little bit of like understanding and I looked at it back then, but I think the, the newer stuff, that was something that was uh, uh, I had to kind of brush up on. So I think that w- it's always a difficult um, when you're starting from like a standing start to be able to be like, okay, this is something completely new, but it helps to have sort of the experts there. And because we're approaching a sort of a, a relatively new field of artificial intelligence in the area of mobility and kinematics, it's sort of like a learning process for everyone. So I think it's not impossible, but it's, it's, it helps to have a co-founder who mm. is able to guide and then you can kind of bounce off each other and, and I can feed in sort of the health and the, the biomechanics and they can feed in the sort of the technical aspect of the different types of software um, and what is the best fit for what we're trying to do. And we had a very different vision early on. We, were, we wanted to help people move better but we thought the best way to do that would be to have uh, soft exoskeletons. So we wanted to go the full kind of like, let's build something that will will help people move by having artificial muscles and some kind of like propulsion system with a motor. And we even built like initial prototypes. Um, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was really fun. And then we realized that whilst it's very cool, it's something that a small team would need a lot of time and money to do to be able to get to mm. the next sort of stage or commercial stage. Um, and I think we still have that like hope that we can do something like that in the future. Um, but uh, right now, I think we're focusing on the sensing part. And to be able to have an effective uh, exoskeleton, you need to be able to sense um, what is the underlying sort of movement and intention of movement. And if you can get that information and that data, you can build out a a very, very good model that will essentially understand biomechanics of people from different ages and and sectors and backgrounds and ethnicities. And that way you can design the best way to assist them. So that's sort of the kind of the first Mm. step of of Tonus. An exoskeleton just sounds so cool, (laughs) doesn't it? Like, it is such a draw of that. And even when you mentioned your co-founders, like... 
someone that's got a PhD in robotics. I'm just like, whenever I hear that, I'm always like, I re- need to rethink my choices of like, oh man, I'd love to just go around saying I had a PhD in robotics. And I'd love to go around with the knowledge of a PhD in robotics as well. Um, it's such an incredibly practical and just really cool um, <laughs> title. Um, but anyway, so I'm interested in this now. And we'll talk about Tony's in a sec, but so that initial idea of an exoskeleton, right? So the idea obviously being that if someone is wearing an exoskeleton, I say wearing, I don't know what the correct verb is, but let's say they're wearing this this soft exoskeleton, which I think is is again an important word there, but they're wearing this soft exoskeleton, which is sensing the intention of their movement and then assisting them essentially in that direction. And that as a means of meeting the mission, which is the way that Zinc organizes their cohorts, the mission around helping, was it older adults with mobility and that being a potential, a potential solution for that. I think that is a, a just, again, an incredibly interesting concept because particularly, I mean, like you said earlier about, you know, preventing falls and also helping with falls. I've seen quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of things actually in that, in that fall space, like quite a lot of moonshot stuff about, you know, when people are falling over, like the gravity sensors or the, uh, whatever you'd call them, accelerometers will, will, will predict when someone is falling over and they'll just like deploy this like airbag to just like prevent them falling over and stuff like that. And I suppose this is just like a, Partly that, partly an extension of that, but partly actually to help the, the genuine mobility of that human being as they want to go and do things in the world and helping them with certain activities of daily living and that kind of thing. I can imagine particularly that will extend to even neurological disorders and, and people where they've got, you know, weakness and upper motor neuron and stuff like that. It, it sounds like certainly something that can help with all those things. It's interesting that you guys were, were, were thinking a bit and tackling it because as you say, you know, for Boston Dynamics to come out and say, hey, we're working on a soft exoskeleton to help older adults with mobility issues, you'd kind of be like, oh, I predict them to come out with that in the next five minutes because of what they're already doing with yeah. like robotics and stuff. But yeah, obviously that, that 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 requires engineering in like materials. It requires engineering in a heck of a lot of software in order to manage that stuff. But it has been doable, right? Because I've seen also... Um, the exoskeleton, well, I say exoskeletons, they're not the right term is, but like I would call it an exoskeleton that helps reduce Parkinson's tremors. I don't know if you've seen this, that it will predict the Parkinson's tremor and it will produce movement to counter the exact movements of the tremor, producing a completely stable limb at the end of, of the prediction of the tremor and therefore the counter movements. And it, like, so it, it is obviously doable. So do you see, do you see that as the future? I mean, obviously there's what you're doing now and we'll talk about that, but like, do, do you see this exoskeleton as at least part of the future in terms of helping with mobility and safety around falls and things like that? Do you think that's where we're going? Absolutely. I think it's inevitable uh, in the same way that if you wow, said, okay. said to someone 10 years ago, having a bike, or a scooter that's electric, they would have looked at you a bit kind of funny. And now there are millions of mm. them everywhere you go. If you go to any sort of city, you'll just see them at the side of the road and people will just, mm. they'll use an app and they'll pick them up and they'll go for a cycle. And there's some really interesting statistics around electric bikes because one of the, the worries was that 
people would take them and they would be essentially be like lazy. It would be like, oh, they're not cycling as much. Mm. or But actually people go further than they would um, with a normal bike. So they're taking longer journeys. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. You're, 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 okay. You're using the analogy of like those modes of transport are essentially another version of an exoskeleton. We're just not calling it that. That's sort of what you're saying. So it's, it's like assisted. Those, those things are coming. Yeah. Okay. Though it's more, yeah, that's so interesting. Cause that's so interesting. Cause I'm thinking of it as like an exoskeleton. I'm sort of imagining it bottom up as in like that's come from nothing. And now we've got the idea of an exoskeleton. That's a super interesting framework that, what if you extrapolate electric scooters and electric bikes to just mobility and you go top down from there backwards? Yeah. Then you arrive at the exoskeleton also. That's so interesting. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's sort of the way that we looked at it, that people are using different ways to get about. And I guess rather than like a bike, it's sort of your legs. So, so generally it's the, those are the those are the engines that are powering our our core mobility right now and as you get older that sort of engine has difficulties with the framework whether it's wow. arthritis or muscle loss or atrophy or osteoporosis so let's augment that in different ways and help people to to go a little bit further and it doesn't even need to be like those huge hulking sort of like exoskeletons you might see in industry and in like factories yeah you can do quite a lot with a relatively relatively small push. So what if it was like an electric bike? So you're not like, you know, driving like a, a motorcycle, but electric bike kicks in after I think like four or five um, kilometers per hour. And then it can give you a push depending on if you're going up a hill or so it's, it's that kind of mentality of, so I think that's why we thought this is achievable because we're not necessarily doing like a, you know, like a Boston robotics, like starting from scratch and making like a, an artificial, like, you know, humanoid, but we're yeah. seeing what we can do and giving that a little bit of a push and doing it at the right time so that it's it's sort of like a, an augmentation and assistance. And that, that was sort of the goal. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be with movement. It could be with exercise. So if someone is like struggling at the gym, they have an imbalance or a weakness for previous injury. What if we just like give them like an, I guess, a, an artificial uh, spotter that will kind of, you know, allow them to go for that extra extra bit of weight and just help them to get that extra rep or get them to get that appropriate balance. Um, that that kind of idea. So yeah, I think that's that was sort of the, the the core idea because if you can augment the the core body, the muscles, the, uh, and improve the joints and the bones, then you can reduce things like falls because that that's all about core strength. That's all about the hip flexors. And the hip girdle. So if you can improve that through either an exoskeleton or exercise in that area, you will sort of get to the root cause of the fall and sort of the danger with the, the neck of femur fracture. So that's sort of what we were thinking of. So rather than having like a necessarily like a big device that would kick in whenever someone's falling over, let's sort of help them more holistically and improve how they're moving around and improve their strength and improve their coordination. And not, not only will that help prevent the falls, but it will help them get around more easily, get around the house and meet other people. And that's always good for, you know, physical health, musculoskeletal health, cardiorespiratory health, reduces, you know, weight gain and obesity and risk of diabetes and cancer. But also there are the mental health benefits of being able to have the independence to be able to, to mobilize and to commute and to 
engage in social activities. So I think we thought mobility as being sort of like central to all of those aspects of sort of healthy living. And that was like, okay, we can try and do something that hasn't been done before. I love that, man. I absolutely love that. Do you know where my mind went there when you were talking about, you know, people with injuries and, you know, the optimal amount of spotting to aid recovery on that side, et cetera, is that's almost, it almost opens up a new frontier for me of almost like the academic personalization of what is the optimum amount of spotting that can then be measured by this device, for example, because when you think about training in the gym, right. And you're doing, you know, 15 reps because that's optimal for hypertrophy because we know that or you're doing three really heavy to optimize for strength or you're doing it quickly for power or whatever that we've that we've learned you think about even if you watch like the the really the really big people in the gym that are like competing or whatever they've got a spotter that's doing some sort of arbitrary amount of spotting just to make sure they get there but I wonder if that is another frontier of like, what's the optimum amount of force to deliver the goal? And what, you know, what does that actually do physiologically mm. and to that anatomy in terms of the rebuild of the muscle? Like, I wonder, I wonder if this could, that, that sort of thing could actually end up being a consumer device to then, to then help with that automatic spotting and actually even increase gym safety or whatever. Like, I, th- I think that's, that's super interesting. Yeah. yeah. And dare I say, you could even, I mean, they could even offer resistance. When you talked about injury and you talked about like, you know, mismatch on both sides, you know, where someone's got a nerve injury or where someone's got a muscle injury or they're in recovery or physiotherapy for a torn, I don't know, biceps tendon or, or whatever. Like, I'm sure that th- th- this sort of thing can then give a really measurable amount of uh, force, which and that measurable amount of force is very different to like ah oh, just 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 you know help it with this or help it with that and it'll get better over time. It, it does give a bit more kind of quantifiable data, I suppose, to that, which is oh, that's so that's so interesting. Absolutely, um, and I think love that. some people are sort of trying this experimentally now. So they're sort of exoskeletons oh, are building okay. in resistance, uh, and I don't think it's quite as simple as like. Know, reversing the polarity so instead of having a uh, a device that kind of like you know kicks in when you're going forwards and then it's just like oh i'm gonna put the switch on the other way around so now when i when i kick in but the core principle is is basically like that um so it's it's really interesting and, and yeah. then, like you say you calibrate it to the individual so like if someone's recovering on one side and they've had an injury you know that actually if i induce this sort of resistance and and you develop the curve of resistance per repetition so that it will it will be enough that will induce the sort of uh, muscular hypertrophy but i don't want to push them too far that mm. might uh, inflame the injury or make it worse so you can mm. quantify that and then and essentially what you would do is use artificial intelligence to sort of work out where they are and then sort of tweak it so it's it's you mm. develop like a routine based on that and then just track it um but yeah, it's it's a very kind of interesting principle, and I'm it's sort of taking what physios and uh, experts in rehabilitation are doing manually, and then sort of developing a system around that. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's oh, it's interesting, man. 
like you think of you think of the high performance athletes and the things that they go through in terms of you know the commercial benefits to a returning athlete you know like that like Zverev the tennis player recently who tore a tendon in his foot I think um you know he was he was back playing and winning matches within 10 months 11 mm. months 12 months like it's fast it's fast that that is fast given the injury but you just wonder, like, with all this extra data, with all this extra, you know, that physiotherapy that you did, you know, you were increasing that by a week or two. And a week or two is prize money in, <laughs> in, in tennis where you're clearing, like, a few hundred grand. <laughs> like, the investment of 50 into something that's going to, you know, really measurably and in a data-driven way ensure optimal recovery in any way, shape or form. I think, um, yeah, for sports medicine, I think that's super interesting. So... Uh, so Tona, so that's where it started. That's where the idea started. Obviously you said you went on that journey and obviously realizing that that's not quite what you want to do. That's not quite the, the, the team that you guys were with the resources that you had. So what happens next? And talk me through Tonus. Uh, so I guess as part of that journey, when we're developing the sort of the prototypes, we know that to what is the, the first version of the product that we could bring to market. And we know that uh, sensors had to be involved. So we were like, okay, we love the idea of doing this exoskeleton, but let's really pare it down to like something that's really practical and how, how can we build this out? So we started to look specifically at sensors, using multiple sensors in the lower limb that would track uh, the, the sort of position of different um, elements of each limb and combine that to give you a, a kinematic sort of profile of every individual for every specific mm. movement. And that was sort of the, the transition of like going from uh, assistance and support to measuring and assessment. And uh, that mm. was, those are sort of like on the scale of, or the, the roadmap to the, the, the holy grail of an exoskeleton, you would start with something like a basic sensing device where we are now, then you'd have sort of like a passive device where there is no sort of external motor, but it might have um, sort of springs or elastic technology that can take in mm. um, uh, force or, or when you're moving and convert that into uh, external sort of output force uh, in, in sort of the same way that parts of when we're, um, we're moving with our legs, uh, there is like energy conservation as a result of sort of the natural motion um, and the swinging. You, let's see if you can capture that and put that into the device. And there are some passive exoskeletons out there. And then the next step would be the active, where you put in the, the artificial muscle and you put in the motor. So we, we were like, okay, let's start the sensing. And you can do quite a lot with sensing. It's sort of like what people do now with professional athletes. They'll put them in a really expensive motion capture lab and it's the same technology they use for films and for TV. And we've done some testing in these labs um, where you get someone to run and you can, you know, you get the sort of the 3D skeleton of them and you can see very accurately how they're running. So they will do sort of gait analysis, particularly around like injuries or um, if there's like an imbalance. So professional athletes will, will use this. And we're like, okay, let's, can we do what the professional athletes are doing, but let's do it in a way that's portable and almost as good. Um, so rather than spending millions, mm. let's get it down to hundreds. 
And that in itself is quite a big leap. And that was our first project. So we applied for a another UK grant and we were successful. We collaborated with Newcastle University because they have a really nice biomechanics lab. And nice. we, we built out the first prototype. So we developed our own sensors and we integrated everything from scratch uh, into sort of like leggings that would sort of track the position of the joints and give you that kinematic output. Nice. So what do you then do with that output? So the point in the story that we've got to, so the sensors are in the leggings. The leggings are going to sense, obviously, the the position of those limbs, I imagine, through a range of exercises to determine some sort of baseline, maybe, or against a national average or something, which you can then do things with that data. So, yeah, talk me through that. Like, what is it that they're sensing? Why are they sensing that? And then what are you doing with that information to then improve motion and health? When you are looking at movement, uh, the more points that you measure and the more the higher the frequency of measuring, the greater the uh, accuracy of that. So if you have, like a, for example, the motion capture system, if you're sampling really at a really high rate and you're using those dots and you're using like lots of different cameras, you're getting like a lot of information that is almost accurate to real life. And in in it looks sort of like if you ever see the behind the scenes for uh, like a film like Avatar or you know the the superhero films, yeah, that's what, those little dots. That's sort of what it looks like. That's sort of the industry gold standard for kinematics or biomechanic capture. So. We're like, okay, let's see what we can do in a way that is pared down. So we went to, I think, seven sensors, and each of the sensors detects uh, acceleration, detects sort of the, the angular position in sort of three dimensions using a gyroscope and a magnetometer. And sort of that combination allows you to kind of work out where something is in, in sort of three dimensions. And then if you tie that into the other sensors, it works out where... Uh, those elements are moving relative to each other. And from that, you get like a sort of like a basic mm-hmm. skeleton and you can develop like a biomechanic profile of the individual. And so if you do that with lots of different people, you get lots of different uh, anatomical sort of like fingerprints or mo- motoric fingerprints of what mobility or motion looks like. And then if you do that with specific activities, like you were saying, so you get people to do running, you get them to do squats, you get them to do lunges, right and left, you get them to do balance tests where you're standing on one foot. Then you get an idea of sort of the range of um, what that looks like for healthy people. And then if you do that with people who have pathology, then Mm -hmm. you get an idea of what that looks like with pathology. And then you get, so then that's the baseline, that's your library. And, And then the next step is to, how do you quantify that movement? So you've got the essentially like a three-dimensional recording and loads and loads of tapes of this stuff. Then you need to score it. And we did that using people. So you use the strength and conditioning experts or fitness coaches, and we got them to look at sort of anonymized versions. So they didn't look at the video. They looked at the three-dimensional avatar recreation. So it's sort of like a skeleton. It literally looks like, you know, bones. Um, and they would assess the movement of the uh, avatar in multiple planes. So this is the, the time-consuming part where you look at someone doing like 250 like squats from from the front, from the back, from the left, and from the right. And you for each repetition, you give like a, an assessment of how good that squat was. 
and you, you create like a, a number of that. And you do that for every single one of their motions. And then you do that for all the people. Um, so that was the sort of the time consuming part. And then you train your machine learning model on that. So your machine learning model is like, oh, okay, this is what the human person thinks is a good score because they have an expertise in fitness and health. Right. And then you put that onto the sort of the, the movements that haven't been scored by a person. And it says, oh, based on what I know, I think this is a, a good squat. And on the right side, it's you know nearly as good as it is on the left side. And then you keep doing that and you keep doing that. And that's just a very, very basic model of, of like how to train um, the sort of the core uh, algorithm for us. So that was like the, the first steps for us to to be able to have a model that can. So, so what, after, after we did all of that, then you can now get someone to put on sensors and they do something and the model will, will be like, oh, OK, I know what this is. This person is now they're doing a squat and of the 10 squats they're doing. Three were very good. Uh, four were okay, and uh, the other three not so great. So it works out what you're doing, and then it quantifies them and gives them a specific motion score. And that's the sort of like the level of of artificial intelligence. So being able to identify and 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 quantify the the type of movement, and that's quite a big step mm. for us. How does that then translate to improvements in health? So now when we have a quantification of that, we know what's wrong. We can feedback and be like, okay, this is how you improve that. So th this is how you get to essentially like the gold yeah. standard of movement or the gold standard of, of range of move motion at uh, this, this joint. Um, so you can have like an output based on the, on the input detection and then you develop the programs associated with that. Mm. So if your program is for balance, let's, let's work mm. on that. If it's for joint strength, Let's work on improving that. And if, it, if your program is on symmetry, let's work on that. So you have these sort of core outputs and we, mm. we sort of work on developing customizable outputs depending on who we're working with. So if it's someone who's uh, like a rehabilitation specialist, they want something different to someone who's looking at older adults and developing core strength. And I think that's sort of the, the stage right now where we're looking at different um, partnerships and developing programs that are, are tailored to their users' needs. So that was actually going to be my next question, which is that is the idea that it's better and more accurate or cheaper or both than a one-to-one -one physio appointment? And I think the answer is you're certainly getting more quantified data around a problem. It's providing a view and actually that's augmenting the physiotherapists. Absolutely. I think it it sounds to me like it sounds to me like it could have a role actually in just being the first view for people that if they wanted just an independent machine view of what's going on, they could go and get that. And I'm sure the machine learning algorithms can then, you know, point out what the right exercises to do would be to correct certain things because it's going to assume like with a model of, you know, the human anatomy that can say like, okay, you're glute medius needs strengthening and these are the things to do because that's going to blow open your hips and change this angle to this is which is where, nearer where it should be i'm sure that machine learning can do that but obviously 
much as we are in lots of different parts of healthcare with chatbots and all these all these things, they'll, that, that will be right for a certain cohort of people that can be done at scale. And those would be the people that probably would never have gone to physiotherapist in the first place. And actually that doesn't really change that market. It doesn't really take away from those physiotherapists um, and that side of things. It actually just adds... Um, support to people that weren't getting it before. I, th I think that's a really interesting concept. It's the same concept that I had when I spoke to Alison at Wobot or the founder of Wobot, um, that, you know, the argument being like, oh, are people just going to use this instead of going to, you know, one-to-one -one treatment? And she's like, well, actually, no, like the, the data suggests these are people that were never going to go and seek that treatment anyway, but now they have, and now they are. And when you think of something like this, when you think of that sort of population level, you know, imagine all the people that are deteriorating, you know, we're, I'm sat on this chair now, I'm, I'm certainly not engaging my glutes, I'm certainly getting a weak lower back and all those things that, you know, for people like me as I get older, if only there were something that were nudging me into something before it became a real problem for me where my back blows out that I need to then go and see a physiotherapist once or one, if only I'm getting this information before. One. And at population level, that becomes really interesting. You know, can, can you with this find a way of making it so that people use it for preventative interventions rather than waiting for an actual intervent proper medical intervention to be needed by a physiotherapy and what can you do at that level? And then what's interesting then is who can buy it? You know, who buys it then when you think, right, a population level, like we can make a real change to the health of older adults here. We can help mobility. We can reduce falls. We can do this. We can do this. It becomes quite interesting at system level with something like this then, um, especially if it's a tech solution that can be deployed one day, uh, either in people's homes or through VR or like any of these potential things. It, it becomes like really interesting. What is your plan commercially? So I guess with this, um, it's leggings that you wear. It's a computer system that needs to be talked to via the leggings, which needs some sort of near field communication or Bluetooth or something like that. Um, so there needs to be some connection there between the two things. I imagine you can do that relatively remotely. Um, but yeah, who are you assuming buys this and how do you plan to, I guess, turn this into a business? And I imagine there's a, there's, an idea now and an Absolutely. idea in the future. You're spot on. So I think right now we are B2B. We're focusing on working with organizations. So fitness centers and gyms, rehabilitation and physiotherapy, and then old adult care homes, residential homes. And each of those will have a very specific uh, use case. We, we think that the technology uh, doesn't need to remove the specialists, whether it's the physio or the trainer. Uh, it can enhance that. So whenever the uh, the toner system is included, it will give the sort of like um, the understanding and feedback in, in a way that we didn't necessarily have before. For example, if you're in a gym training, you won't necessarily see what you look like um, when you're doing an exercise. And you might know that I'm mm. not quite right when I'm doing these squats or when I'm, when I'm pushing out. But if you go back and you have a look on the app and you'll see this is what my three-dimensional avatar looks like and you see a little sort of diagram of yourself and yeah. you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I understand now. I need to tuck in a little bit and hold and breathe and go through. So having the, that, that level of feedback, but also mm -hmm. something that you can uh, look depending on the level of your interest. So we, we did a trial in Denmark in a gym 
and it was very interesting because there were different levels of users. So there were some that just wanted the motion score. They said, give me a score or a percentage of how well I'm moving. And that will give me the insight and the motivation so that I know what I need to do next time, but also kind of keeps me going in the gym and improves my performance. And then we had someone who used to be a former professional football player and he wanted to know everything. So he wanted to know the the very fine detail of every single rep and the mm. range of motion for every single um, exercise that he did. And he wanted the full in and out and we can do both. And so it's, it's not something that is one or the other. It's like, okay, if you want just the basic, in the same way that a lot of sort of wearables now with when you have your Apple Watch, you can, I guess, close the rings to hit your targets. So something that's quite simple where it's like, okay, if I hit my, if I hit the distance, if I hit the heart rate, if I, I do this, I'm good. That's sort of our motion score. And if you want the full sort of like, okay, for every single repetition, when I was in the third set at the highest weight at the fourth repetition, I noticed this happening and I want to see what it looks like. You can have that feedback. So it's sort of going B2B in that, in that instance. And then eventually, I think when everything is sort of a bit more built out, and the technology has been um, gone through the economies of scale, we want to be able to go to B2C so that anyone can find a version. And it might not be the, the same version that we have, the B2B. It might be something that's a little bit pared down. So instead of having maybe five or seven sensors, it might just be three sensors. Mm. But that might be good enough that people can just be like, okay, cool. I'll buy the you know Tonus Light and I'll, I'll put that on. Yeah. And that will be enough for me when I'm going around the house, when I'm going for my run, when I'm playing football, when I'm playing netball when I'm going for a cycle and the feedback will be enough that I can get a big performance improvement and health improvement and like you say if you're doing that at scale in the community and in the same way that you know with the uh, other wearable devices particularly like uh, the Fitbit or the uh, the Apple Watch you get so much information about just core baseline health, whether it's like heart rate or heart rate variability or even the sort of the ECG rate readings that are coming out now that you know uh, this is the baseline for heart health and sort of VO2 max and cardiorespiratory health. We want to be able to do the same for mobility and motion. So we know that actually that we could look at a population and be like, okay, we know millions of people who are in their 40s, for example, uh, start, that's when we start to have issues with gait. And it's not big, but maybe this is going to develop into, like you say, like a back problem, or they're going to get arthritis in their hip, or they're going to have problems in their knee with their cartilage because of how they're walking and because they, they're not training or training in the right way. So let's think about interventions that we can do mm. that are even small interventions that aren't, that will have a big difference. And I think that's a really big thing for us. It's the prevention mm -hmm. side early on to sort of the prehabilitation to prevent injury, as well as the intervention side for older adults who might yep. be struggling. And let's try and get them back on track in the best way possible for them. I think you're absolutely right, mate. I think there's there's definitely three elements to it. There's the, as you say, intervention and correcting poor health. There's the preventative model where you are preventing injury and poor mobility and poor health but then there's also as with lots of these things there's then the optimizing good health for the athletes and the people that are exercising lots and want specific feedback to correct their body position on their backhand when they're 
playing tennis. You know, it, it's it's so interesting. And actually, you know, the age I'm at now and the little niggles that I'm picking up, I think I could benefit from all three of those because I'm flat-footed, therefore my knees point inwards, therefore I have like MCL problems every now and again. I've got like hip issues because my glutes are weak because I sit on this chair too often. And so I've definitely got some corrective stuff going on that I'm trying to do with physiotherapy right now. I'm at an age where I'm starting to pick these injuries up more and more. So I'm like, well, I need a standing desk. I need to do all these things to prevent poor health in future because I know my flexibility is not great and things like that. So I know that I'm trying to prevent that in future as well. But I play tennis at a decent level and I want to optimize for that too. Like I want to know, like, are my knees pointing inwards when I'm split stepping, when I'm coming into the net? Because if so, if I push off, I'm going to really do some MCL damage if I try and move one side too quickly and things like that. So I also want to know that. Um, and so I'm trying to optimize my health there to be stronger on my volleys and like all that kind of thing. So it's so interesting that I sort of identify with all of those categories and actually I can see use cases in all of it. Um, and so I, I think there's definitely something in it. There's obviously plenty of players in this and I'm sure you've got lots of competitors trying to come at this and from different angles. And I think the, the, the value is going to be in, we'll see your point. Like whoever's going to just make this, mass market and I just just execute on this well. And I think the learning that you've gone through previously with Orbitject and and stuff, like your your knowledge of like how to make things user friendly and, and practical. And you've mentioned a couple of times now, like, you know, maybe we just go down to blah, like you said, down to three sensors or, you know, removing features or whatever. Like it's that kind of how do we just make this practical and usable and put it in the hands of people that will then go and use it. And that's where the value lives. That's where all of these potential commercial models live at the back of, is this usable? Is this sticky? Is this what people are actually going to do? Is this what's actually going to fit in with people's lives? And is this not overwhelming? Because I think my criticism of things that have come before you on this is that you have to go to like a motion sensor lab to get it done or like, oh, we've removed the need for sensors, but you've got to stand in the middle of nine cameras. And it's like, oh, like am I really going to do that? And then it's like, is it integrate, integrate it into a phone? And it's like, oh, how accurate is it? And there's, I've got a video myself and like, that's not practical if I'm doing it. Like it's, so there's, there's, there's always limitations for this. And I think the way that you're coming at it sounds great. Like it sounds like it's definitely got the potential to succeed, man. So it sounds super interesting. And have a look at your website, the people that you're working with, um, you know, mighty impressive, like City University and Newcastle University, you said, National Innovation Centre for Aging, um, Advanced Robotics, Danish Technical Institute, you know, Innovate UK, like you're working with some serious partners on this. And so it seems like you guys have, um, you've got a real shot at making this succeed. So yeah, um, super happy to see you doing well, man. Like, yeah, it's been it's been many years since we first met, and um, yeah, just plugging away, like doing the right things, learning as you go, learning by doing. Yeah. You know, building awesome. little startups and seeing where Thank it you. goes. I think I think that's awesome. Yeah, and it's and it's great to see you as well. Yeah, like, no, worries. I, no worries. I didn't expect you to be like this sort of like health tech media titan, and then like down the line, I just I see you on like <laughs> you know, on LinkedIn, like oh, I'm at this conference, I'm presenting this, and it's just like wow, you're talking to some really cool people, doing some amazing things. So yeah, no, props <laughs> to you as well. This is this is really impressive, and yeah, it's it's been kind of still baffled that people uh, <laughs> listen to me, mate, and, and care what I no, say every good. now and again. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I think it's what it's it's one of those man. Like, like I, I I think 
I, I, I've always had that thing of, uh, I, I've never really backed my own opinion on health tech. And I, I know that sounds like a humble brack, but like, I mean it in that I, I've said this a few times, like I'm hiding in plain sight because I'm the health tech guy that's never built a health tech company. Like all I've ever done is talk to other people that have got health tech companies. And so my knowledge is simply amassed from the wisdom of others. It's not knowledge that I've gleaned myself. And yes, I can connect two dots together and maybe have an idea in the middle. But I think it much like your journey, mate, like I just learned, I tried to learn by doing and I tried to, you know, jump into it with Alex and the accelerator and, and see what I learned. And what I learned was I was okay at communications. I was good at communication. I was good at helping people with communications and how to communicate. And I learned that bit. And so I was like, well, what's the next thing I could do that's similar to that? And it's like, well, I could do this or I could, I could start a podcast and I could talk to people and I can learn that way. And so I did that. And then the podcast grows, the network grows. And they're like, oh, can you help me start a podcast? And oh, maybe can you look at our website? Can you look at our social media? And all of a sudden it starts to, starts to be like, well, hey, I'm, I'm learning by doing, I'm out in the market trying stuff. And actually I'm just slowly iterating towards what feels right and what's working. And I'm trying to move to it. You know, it's a, it's a mixture of that, that kind of ikigai concept of like, what does the world need? What brings me joy? What, what does like, it's, it's that like you're, I feel like a, the learning by doers, you know, the people that are out there like yourself, you know, just started Orbitject. It's an idea. It's simple, but effective. Let's just see what happens. Let's launch it and see what happens. Let's make some money doing something else nine to five and let's do this five till nine, you know, it's, and let's just try it. And I just respect that a lot because there's, you can, you can complain about your situation and you can say that you wished things were different or you can try and make that happen by whatever means your situation allows. And I think, as long as you're doing the best for that, and as long as you're, do you're doing your best and you're doing what you can, I think you're edging closer and closer to what it is that's going to bring you that joy and purpose and, and yeah, trying to make some money from it at the end of the day or give yourself enough. It's, it's hard. I get, I get it's hard, but the amount of nine to fives and then five till nines that I, I know I've had to do and, and you've had to do as well, like it, that is the bit that, will get you there in entrepreneurship, I think, or at least give you your start. But yeah, man, thanks for saying it. Like it, it it's, it, it's funny the the spot I find myself in. Um, it's always a work in progress and mm. the usual ups and downs of entrepreneurship, <laughs> as I'm sure you'll be well aware of that. Oh my God, this thing is yeah. broken. Oh my God, this thing has happened. Oh my God. I saw a great meme the other day about, there was a, it wasn't a meme. It was actually a cartoon. It was a drawn cartoon. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It was the fact, it was a founder of a startup behind a desk. And it was a, it was a, someone dressed up as like a butler that had come to them with like a silver platter. Um, and it just had like a piece of paper on it, which just said like another <laughs> terrible problem. It was just like this butler serving this starter founder. Like, and it was just like oh. another problem for you, sir. <laughs> another thing for you to deal with. Sir. Like, it was just, uh, it was just quite funny of just like, yeah, there's, there's absolutely no value in us spending our time on the things that are working and that are behaving and doing really well. And so our time is always spent on the, spent on the things that, um, going wrong that we need to correct for and that we need to optimize for and uh it's a journey that can beat you up mate but um i don't know how, how do you how do you find it do you do you do you enjoy every day do you enjoy every week do you enjoy half of your time like i don't know how do you I how do you find the journey of it. of it all i think there will always be stuff that uh is less fun 
I think in every job, I think if, if you are able to be in a job where there is zero grind, you are a very lucky person. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I don't think that exists. But I, think <laughs> I don't think the percentage exists, of good stuff that uh, we get to do um, is so high that I am very, very satisfied. Um, because I also, I love the variety of this job. Um, even though there is like a domain expertise, I get to hmm. talk to people about hardware and software and artificial intelligence. And I get to speak to people from so many different backgrounds hmm. and fields and countries and locations that you really kind of get to understand people on a kind of really deeper level and their needs. And I think that's always something that I've enjoyed. And even like going back through like the medicine days, like trying to kind of connect with people and trying to help them in the best way possible. I think that's always been like a through line and whether that's been through um, doing things in startup or in medicine or work when I, you know, did stuff in the media when it was like so film or writing, I think trying to connect with people and understand their story has always been something that like drives me and I get to do that for most days. So I'm happy. It's beautiful, mate. Beautiful. Because we're back to what we said right at the start with Phil Jackson. You know, it's about people, it's about helping, it's about teaching. And I think the modern startup founder or the you know, the modern CEO even, I think it's uh it's an EQ game. It's a game of emotional intelligence to understand people to get the best out of that unit. I think that is a fantastic full circle moment um to end on. So I think Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Glad to see you doing so well. Um, if people want to learn more about Tonus or they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, just pop to the website, uh, tonus.tech, T-O-N-U-S dot T-E-C-H, and just drop us a, a line on, there's a sort of a contact form. Follow us on, on Twitter, at Tonus Tech, uh, or on Instagram as well, at Tonus Tech, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Uh, we post a lot of stuff there, and we're also on TikTok. So if you want to see us do some dancing, um, you can find us at Tonusec. I am absolutely following you on TikTok immediately. Um, dude, love yeah, it. Thank Thanks you. so much, man. Um, yeah, let's not <laughs> yeah, leave it definitely. so long next time, eh? Amazing. Thanks a lot, James. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.